To begin our Lent journey together, I want to just offer a little meditation on our gospel passage. Our gospel begins with this phrase, while he was saying these things. So we're starting right in the middle of something. We're starting in the middle of a scene. And the scene begins 10 verses earlier in verse 9 when Jesus said to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. Matthew does. He leaves his job at the tax booth. He leaves everything in order to follow Jesus. And immediately, he discovers that following Jesus means you go to parties. Because the next thing we're told in verse 10 is that they're having a banquet. And there's Matthew, and suddenly, you just imagine this. He exchanged a tax booth where he was a servant of the Roman Empire for a banqueting table with the emperor of the universe. Some people would call that a promotion. So then in verses 11 through 13, some Pharisees see this banquet. They see who Jesus is having a meal with. And they start chastising Jesus over the company he keeps. In verse 14, the disciples of John then show up and they start chastising Jesus. And they're questioning him about why is he not fasting? Shouldn't we be fasting? And Jesus' reply is the key to the two miracles of the little girl who's died and the woman who's been bleeding. This is his reply. He says, can the sons of the wedding chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? In other words, there is a time for prayer and for fasting, but a wedding banquet is not the right time to fast. I mean, if you're in my wedding party and you say, oh, I'm fasting today at the wedding party, at the, you know, at the banquet, I'm not going to like you anymore. <laughs> it's rude. It would be rude to me. It'd be rude to my wife, right? So in other words, what Jesus is saying is that Jesus is the bridegroom. And so this, this isn't just any old meal. This is a wedding banquet. And he's saying that the deepest meaning of Christian discipleship is not that we work for Jesus, but that we get to be with Jesus. That a disciple rises to work for Jesus after he eats with Jesus. And in doing this, the work of the disciple becomes nothing other than the overflowing joy and the wisdom and the nourishment that he's taken in during the intimate banquet at the Lord's table. And so, we arrive at tonight's reading, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, and we read, while he was saying these things, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, first we're told that this interrupter is a ruler, a principal official, a guide among men, an establisher of order. And he comes to the ruler of all, Jairus, the, the synagogue leader. He is used to keeping order in his local synagogue, but he comes to Jesus who keeps order in the cosmos. And then we're told that he kneels before him. 
It's a word in Greek that means two things, to bow down and to kiss the hand. So think about this. There's a wedding party. It's interrupted. It's interrupted by a ruler who bows down in submission and kisses the hand of Jesus. And then we understand why such an interruption has occurred because the very next phrase tells us, my daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. Death has just bitten cruelly into his heart. So can you see this? You're supposed to read these passages imagining them. Can you see this grieving father entering the bridal chamber and inviting the divine bridegroom to give his daughter life again. And then in verse 19, we're told, ironically, Jesus rose. And by the way, that phrase in the Bible, Jesus rose, is never not talking about the resurrection. Jesus rose and followed him. The one who normally invites people to follow him, Jesus, the ruler of the universe, now he is the one following someone else. The whole thing started with Jesus saying to Matthew, follow me, and Matthew does this, and now suddenly here we find Jesus, the commander of all, following the plea of a father with a broken heart. And Jesus makes Jairus' intention his own intention. And he shows us here the power of a pure prayer full of faith and sorrow. Now, as you watch, as you watch Jesus leaving the wedding chamber, you should be thinking of Psalm 19. Just a month ago, we read this in church where it says, In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. So scripture teaches us that when Jesus follows Jairus, we should see Jesus as an emperor leaving the camp to take to the battlefield after being summoned with urgency by a field commander. This is the emperor. This is Christ, the son of justice, going out from the banquet hall in the resplendent beauty of his strength. Why? To perform a deed of love. And then in verse 20, Jesus, once again, is interrupted. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Can you see it? Can you see that like iron drawn to a magnet, all human suffering gravitates to Jesus? Wherever he passes, he attracts brokenness and misery to himself. Why? Because Jesus' very presence is a standing invitation for all of us to come to him. Verse 22, Jesus turned. And seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. 
Now, how beautiful is this? Jesus calls out to this woman with the same intimate description that the grieving father had identified his child with. Daughter. In other words, Jesus is turning to her and he's raising her up out of the anonymity of the crowd. He's raising her up out of the anonymity of her own sorrow, and he's establishing with her a lasting relationship. Look, Jesus knows us that when we are in the press of a faceless crowd, he still sees us. His very presence constitutes the invitation for us to come to him. And look at Jesus in this moment, on his way to the house of death. Notice that neither his present mission of following the grief-stricken Jairus to the house of death, nor the hustle and bustle of the crowd of the curious around him, nor his own constant concern to instruct his disciples in the ways of the kingdom, none of these circumstances stop Jesus from stopping and freely turning his full attention, the full attention of his heart to this nameless woman in her plight. Daughter. She hears him say, daughter, as divine word, Jesus has no less urgent concern for her welfare than at his own level Jairus has in his own anguish over the death of his daughter. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the father of both. Then we get verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Remember Psalm, uh, Psalm 19 verses 4 and 5 teaches us how to see Jesus in this moment. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Here is Jesus like the sun, Jesus the bridegroom leaving the wedding hall. Now he arrives at the very threshold of the house of death and here is Christ our warrior bridegroom, gradually descending further and further through the crowds, through the chaos, right straight to the heart of darkness, to the very house of death itself, our arch enemy. And like Gandalf diving into the heart of Moria to fight the Balrog, Jesus enters Jairus' house. And it's chaos. It's the Spirit of God descending upon the chaotic waters at the beginning, commanding the engulfing waters to separate so that God can make life possible. It's Moses commanding the waters of the Red Sea to recede so that Israel can pass on to the promised land. See Jesus command the tumult of death, go away. And in their turn, this crowd mocks Jesus. They mock him. They mock his presence. They mock his prophetic words. When he says that the girl is not dead but asleep, the crowd of people who are weeping and wailing, they mock Jesus. They laugh at him. And why would they do that? They do it because they've resigned themselves to the cult of death. 
They have become so accustomed to the darkness of death that they are professionals of despair. And their mockery is echoed again in Matthew's gospel. Same words at the crucifixion when the soldiers on bent knee mock his alleged kingship. This is why Jesus has to get them out of the house. In fact, in verse 25, we're told when the crowd had been put outside, which is a tricky translation because the word there is literally when the crowd had been cast out. Exact same word used throughout the gospels for what Jesus does to demons. He casts them out. So Jesus, you see, he is exercising the passion for death as he enters the funeral chamber. Jesus, the champion, casting out the enemies of the promise of life, claiming space for indistinguishable life. Jesus storming the sanctuary of death in order to take death captive. And then we read, when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. (laughs) Because Jesus rose, she gets to rise. Do you see, like God delivering Israel from Egypt, he does it with a strong hand. And an outstretched arm. We're told in verse 19, Jesus had arisen. And now the little girl gets to. Jesus, who was reclining at the wedding banquet, now he comes to the one reclining in the grip of death. And he's a champion. He's the strong man. Do you see this passage that we're meditating on? It is luminous. It is so much more than just two miracles that exhibit Jesus' power. Here is Jesus, the deliverer, and he enters the place of captivity, and he takes hold of death's hostage. Jesus is the hero. He takes the human race for himself away from death, and with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he raises the dead. He is the bridegroom deliverer. God told us in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 13, you will know that I am the Lord when I open up your tombs and lead you out of the graves. Do you see that by entering into this house, Jesus transforms a place of death into a bridal chamber? Why? So that he can lead his bride by the hand graciously and mightily out of inescapable death into the joy of indestructible life in a communion of love with himself. Do you see that Jesus bestows life because he first laid his down and then rose and he is the source of life? Do you see in this dark solitude, suddenly transfigured by the presence of Jesus and his act of love, that this girl has nothing to do but awake and contemplate the beauty of Jesus' face? He is life and resurrection. By gazing at his face, she sees the shape of glory. Do you see that what Jesus does for the girl is a great sacrament of what he seeks to do for all of us? Jesus raises the girl for himself. He weds her to his heart by his resurrection because he who gives us life owns our life. The whole cosmos is the girl's death chamber. 
Jesus opens it up by his love and fills it with the splendor of an unending wedding feast. And this is why I love the art on our worship guide. Can you just imagine that daughter as she wakes from death, looks into Jesus' face, and learns to recognize in it the features of her bridegroom? Can you imagine her thanksgiving? I imagine her with the words of Psalm 2. I worship you, my Lord, with all. I tremble and kiss the king. And so the church says, pointing at this girl, she is an icon of the church herself. We pointed her. And with the words of Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, we say to the world, come and I will show you that bride whose bridegroom is the lamb. Now let's wrap this up by going back to the beginning. Jairus' daughter dies. And while others mourn over her corpse, Jairus refuses to resign himself to his daughter's death. Because why? Because Jesus is nearby. And with the close proximity of the source of life itself, Jairus leaves the mourners at home and he runs to Jesus, the all-powerful bridegroom who is the merciful source of life. And the woman who turned her 12-year suffering into an occasion to encounter Jesus, reaching out for Jesus. This is the journey of Lent. The fasting, the praying, the extra devotions, the extra worship services, the repenting, the ashes. This is a straining like the bleeding woman. This is us running from the house of death like Jairus' daughter, straining with all, like Jairus, straining with all of our body and our heart and our soul toward what? Toward the beloved. Knowing that his very presence constitutes a standing invitation to come with our sorrows, and our joys, our losses, and our frustrations, our questions, and our own longings, may we, over the course of Lent, may you and me, may we, like Jairus, like the woman, search in faith for Jesus, the all-powerful bridegroom, because he is the merciful source of life. Let's pray.